Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Path Less Follow. This is Andy Garcia checking in from Auckland, New Zealand. Just want to start off the show today by just saying happy Memorial Day for all of you out there. Just want to say thank you to all the present and past servicemen and women. We're really grateful for all that you have sacrificed. That includes my grandfather who served over 20 years in the, in the Marine Corps, um, who is now passed on because of natural causes. Um, but I want to salute him for all of the work he's done as well. So today on the show, I want to welcome Dr. Janine Krause. She's a naturopathic doctor and health influencer. And, you know, I absolutely love anybody who's going to influence health, especially coming from the natural approach. So Dr. Krause is a doctor of naturopathic medicine and acupuncturist and podcast host herself who's dedicated to empowering people to take charge of their own health. Her unique approach is simplifying natural medicine and healthy habit formation. Now, she believes that health starts with what we eat, how we move, and how we manage stress. She wants to help prevent little health issues from becoming those big ones down the road. She's committed to slowing down the aging process, and I want to hear more about this, and wants to help others with this too. There's a lot of health information out available out there. As most of us know, there's, you know, this, that, and the other, you know, go here for, you know, dietary medicine, you know, um, practices, go here for your acupuncture, here for essential oils, here for homeopathy. And there's just, there's heaps of information out there. So working with somebody like Dr. Janine here can really help guide you down the path. And, uh, and I think that's really important, Janine. So just first off, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Andy. It's my pleasure. So you're absolutely correct here in terms of, you know, helping guide people because we need the guide. There's so much information out there on just health in general, especially when it comes to natural health. You know, there's this site for this and that site for that. And working with somebody to help guide us down this natural path road um, is very important and from my perspective because, it, you, you know, you, you, cut, you trim the fat up and make it real simple. People want simple. They want precise. And, and, uh, and that really helps, um, you know, in terms of regiment and how we can stay on track and, and be more proactive and everything else is when we have somebody like yourself guiding us down that path. So, um, yeah, I, I really like that approach for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, one of those ways where, you know, I just find so many patients will come in the office and they're like, I'm trying this and then I'm trying that and I'm doing this and it's all kind of over the place and they're like, man, I'm frustrated. And it makes sense because you're going in 800 different directions. How can you, you know, gain health because you, when you're not even on a concrete pathway, it's, it's crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk. I want you to share your story a bit and really how you became a naturopathic doctor, because that's a, you know, um, that somewhat is a path less follow, like the name of the podcast, (laughs) Um, you know. uh, So how did you get there? You know, can you share with us? Sure. I definitely took the path less followed. I, I went to to school pre-med, you know, in in my undergraduate and I, and I, did make the decision at the end of my undergraduate career to decide that, yeah, actually, I do want to be a naturopathic doctor, not a medical doctor. I applied to medical school, did the whole thing. But there were some circumstances in my life that that helped me to guide me that direction. So kind of starts back when I was 15 and 
I had my learner's permit, and unfortunately, my mom was dealing with cancer at that time, and someone needed to drive her to her appointments. And so, of course, as any 15-year-old would who wants to learn how to drive, I was like, yeah, I'll take you to all these appointments. Sign me up. So I went in with the intention of just learning how to drive better and, and being cool because I got to take my mom to her appointments, but came out with such a, a big, a big learning experience in terms of getting to know my mom's acupuncturist really well and just all of the different things that he showed me. Hey, check this out. I can do this with needles. Hey, check this out. I can do that with needles. And as at 15 years old, you're like, whoa. That's awesome. I want to learn how to do that. So that seed was already planted. And then I was going to my mom's naturopathic medicine visits and seeing how much energy she had after, you know, taking certain supplements and changing her diet. It really was some of the most basic stuff that, that got the most results for. And I thought, wow, this is pretty awesome. And, and at each visit, both the acupuncturist and the naturopathic doctors had so many different tools. Whereas when we went to my mom's appointments for her chemotherapy and things of that nature, it was just like drugs, drugs, more drugs. And I just thought to myself, you know, I want to be the doc who has all kinds of tools. I don't want to have just one tool. I want a ton of tools so that something lands, something works, and it's, it's something that's life-changing. So that's how I, I got into naturopathic medicine and acupuncture. I just, at an early age, thought it was so cool. And, and just never really could shake that. Believe me, I, I tried to veer off in terms of being a ski management major because I love skiing more than anything, but it just didn't have the same allure. You know, it was fun, but, but it didn't have that same, you know, passion for me in terms of helping people. So that's, that's how I came to be who I am today. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always an experience from, you know, the past that really kind of launches us down the road, you know? And so, you know, I love to hear that your story about how you saw success with your mom and with all these natural modalities, how did she decide to choose this route? I'm just curious and, you know, feel free to share, um, oh, yeah. you know, to, to see the acupuncturist and the natural path and everything else. So my mom was a hippie and she kind of was into everything weird and strange. I was the, I was the kid who I, I didn't have a Dorito. I, I kid you not until I was in the end of grade school because my mom was giving me twigs and sticks, uh, fancy known as sesame sticks. I, I thought, you know, like those were good until I learned that, oh, wow, these kids have other things. So, you know, I was, I was always kind of under the hippie influence that my mom brought to the table and, and she was a nurse. So that was kind of cool that she had the Western side of things. But when she ended up with cancer, she was, she was diagnosed already at stage four. There wasn't a lot that conventional medicine could do, but do chemotherapy at that point. So she basically went, all right, well, I've got to try every single thing I possibly can to, to prolong my life and, and keep me on, on this earth. And she had 10 years from her first initial diagnosis till when she finally passed. But I, I truly believe that those 10 years were a decent time. I mean, really, she didn't get too sick until the end of the last um, of the decade there of, of the battle. But she, I mean, it was, it was just something I think she chose that and knew just in her heart that these things were going to be helpful or at least somewhat prolong her life and improve her, her mental outlook. And it, I think it certainly did. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah. You know, that's extra support. And usually, you know, me, myself as a holistic animal health practitioner, you know, I, I see a handful of clients that come to me where Western veterinarian medicine ends, you know, then it's like, mm -hmm. okay, what else can we do? And, you know, I was in a similar approach with an animal that I lost years ago, uh, where Western medicine basically said, there's nothing else we can do. And it was like, that's not good enough. You know, we want to figure out another way, you know, so uh, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So let's just talk about your approach to health or, you know, as a naturopath, you know, how do you approach health? So I'm taking a look at what's going on with folks where they're at in that moment in terms of what's feasible for them to make change, but also what kind of things could be causing issues in their life. We look at home, we look at work, we look at actual what's going on in their home. And by that, I mean, do we have mold growing in the home? Do we have toxic, you know, chemicals in the home? All of that different things. Like, is is there something that the person is using in terms of a, a chemical hygiene product? And, and by that, I mean something that's like lotion or shampoo that is chemically based. What are they using for cleaners? I look at that kind of stuff. I look at what they're putting in to their mouth because people can eat as clean as possible. But if they're using really toxic chemicals to clean, in their home, we've, we've got some a problem there that we've got some imbalance going on. So I like to look at that. I look to look at their work environment. I look to look at stress in terms of what the person's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. I like to look at their past traumas and, and this can be severe things like accidents, but it could be little things like what, what has built up to create them to be the person that they are now. So I'm looking at all that in addition to how their body's working. Physiologically, I like to look and, and in every visit when I am just getting to know folks, I'm wanting to know any issues with the heart, any issues with the lungs, any issues with the skin. I'm going to ask about head to toe because I want to know every single thing that's going on inside you, but also around you because all of that contributes to your overall health. So my approach is a very well rounded, if you will, or a 360 degree view, as I've heard some people mention it in terms of taking a look at everything and then figuring out from there, what can we do stepwise to improve things on a, a graded scale versus hitting someone with everything at once, because that never works well. Yes, exactly. You know, and I, I talk about this a lot with my patients as well as the environment, you know, 90% of what can throw our body function off may exist in the environment. And that, that goes beyond just the, uh, I mean, my approach is it goes beyond just the, um, even, you know, of course the, the tox, toxic load within the environment definitely plays a role, but also the emotional health and the emotional status of the energy between family members and everything else can also play a role. You know, and I see this a lot quite often with, uh, you know, with my, my animals that live in the home. And I've actually had experience myself where my relationship with my wife in the early days wasn't real strong. And we had a young puppy that we were raising at the time. Now, this young puppy grew up in an anxious, uh, in an anxious state. You know, and it was the environment. We couldn't figure out why. Uh, little to, you know, come to find out later, once I understood the holistic side of things, it was the environment that we were creating. So you're absolutely spot on with the environment. You know, trauma, uh, you know, you have to look at what, what happened in the past. And some of that can really just get stuck in the body, you know, and then cause these physical um, influences and whatnot and, and disrupt normal function of the body. But, you know, the main thing really is stress. 
and uh, and how the body is responding to stress. So I want to just jump right in because I know that you're big on stress management as well. So what are the signs of stress when it takes over the body? Oh my goodness, there are a lot of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down to the biggies because I think for a lot of people we understand that stress is taking over the body when we're starting to have trouble thinking and we're starting to have trouble coming up with with plans and 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 kind of the thought process in life, feeling overwhelmed. But a lot of people don't realize that another sign that stress is taking over your body is digestive issues and starting to notice maybe some acid reflux or starting to notice that you're becoming sensitive to more and more foods. That's a huge one for a lot of folks. They'll be like, oh yeah, I don't know what it is. All of a sudden I can't tolerate you know, gluten anymore. And now I can't tolerate tomatoes. What's happening? So these are things that are, are little signs. Then you know, constipation, diarrhea, like irritable bowel stuff. We have this big catch term you know, using that irritable bowel stuff, but really a lot of it is, is rooted in stress. Another sign is hair starting to fall out. Another big one too is skin changes. Sometimes the skin will start to wrinkle, but sometimes it'll also start to change in color, discoloration. And at the root of that is a hormonal type of change. Now that can also lead in to males and females having issues with the hormones. And, and for example, females might have issues with periods. They might stop the period. The periods might get shorter. They might get heavier. And in guys, what guys might notice is that their sex drive's going down. They might be noticing that they're more emotional. They're like, what is going on with me? I'm crying at commercials. This is so weird. I wasn't an emotional dude before. So our bodies will, will often hijack hormones. It'll often hijack the digestive system. It'll often hijack the skin. And then another biggie is pain. We'll start to have aches and pains that we can't seem to turn off. We'll, we'll do the stretching. We'll do the massage. We'll do all these different things. And this pain just won't go away. So lingering pains are another really big sign. Then insomnia. Insomnia in various forms is, is a huge sign that stress is totally hijacking your body like no other. So those are some basic signs and I can go on. I'll let you kind of guide which direction you want to go from there. But I think those are some of the signs that folks may or may not have connected with stress. Yeah. And those are the big ones too. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, Somebody's, you know, what's common nowadays is digestive issues, skin issues, you know, low libido, um, pain, and sleep, you know, and all of this is related exactly to what you were talking about, the stress. So let's talk about, you know, just, you know, now we have an overall ballpark of the signs of stress. And most of us now can make the connection like, oh, wow. Well, you know, Janine's just listed off sleep and digestive and skin. And that, you know, are the three main things that I'm dealing with. Maybe it's all related to the stress and how I am managing my stress levels. So what are some tips to manage stress? All right. So number one is recognizing first that you have those symptoms like you just mentioned. And, And typically what I'll have people do is create a journal. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It's just a journal of what happens when you feel overwhelmed. 
So in the moment of like the body just being like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't feel good right now. And then if, are you running in the bathroom or is your chest feeling like it's totally like an elephant sitting on it? If you have a Fitbit or, or like an Apple watch, is your heart rate going up? That's another biggie one that I didn't mention, but are these things happening? Writing them down in connection with timing of day writing them down in connection with what's going on in life so you can kind of create a pattern and ladies in particular matching it to periods if you still get your period like tracking your period and when stress is kind of popping off for you where in the cycle are you most susceptible so gathering more information is step number one and a lot of people will roll their eyes at me and be like oh doc you want me to journal hear me out. A lot of us don't really realize how often or connections. So putting the dots together in terms of symptoms, we need to have more information with ourselves. We need to go deeper and realize what's happening with us on a day-to-day basis. And so two weeks is a great time frame to be able to put some information together for yourself. Or if you're seeing a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doc, or your regular doc, you can kind of bring it to them and be like, hey, every time I get stressed, doc, I have to run to the bathroom. Or hey, every time I get stressed, my heart rate goes up to like 150 and I feel like my heart's going to pound out of my chest or my neck. And once you get those triggers dialed in and you know what's setting you off now you can go back and go okay so each day like let's give an example each day when i get up i have that i have to go to work i'm freaking out each morning because i've got to figure out what to wear my heart rate goes up really high and i can feel my chest pounding (laughs) well guess what we've got to plan out what you're wearing that's going to help with reducing some of that stress load Then we work on breathing and things of that nature. So, Andy, if you see where I'm going here, it's a matter of find the triggers and then work backwards to help manage them. Not all of them are as easy as stress getting uh, amplified by not knowing what you're going to wear. But boy, I tell you, for a lot of us, planning is a big deal and something that can help mitigate a lot of stress taking over the body. Absolutely. I love that stress journal, or I don't, maybe I just called it a stress sure. journal. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, to be able to document these times is really vital information, especially if you're working with somebody like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working with you, Janine. What do you need from me? Because I need to get well again, you know? So doing a stress journal seems like a very economical approach, right? Because that way we can really pinpoint these moments where you are dealing with stress and then we can start to figure out um, solutions on, on ways to manage that. Um, I, I think this is a, that's an incredible tip um, that, and it's very simple too, because people can then now start to connect the dots. Like, oh, wow, you know what? I'm getting way too stressed out in the morning when I'm trying to figure out which clothes I'm trying to pick <laughs> out, you know? or whatever the case might be. So once somebody does get stressed, um, you know, what do, what are some simple techniques that they can do to try and uh, alleviate that stress? So one of my most favorite ones, and it's really, it's free and we have to do it anyway is breathe. And it might sound super cheesy because a lot of people are like, yeah, totally. I know. I know I need to breathe, but most people don't do it. That's the, that's the difference. You know, you need to like slow yourself down a little bit, breathe, rest, chill, but a lot of people aren't doing it. And 
a lot of folks have these these heart rate monitors whether like i said before whether they have a fitbit or whether they have a um apple watch you can actually breathe your your heart rate down and watch it go down in front of your eyes which i like because it's instant gratification for a lot of folks so that you're like yep see this this stuff works this is for real so i'm having folks take five count inhales and seven count exhales i like that number sequence for some people they like the four count inhale four count exhale i like it to be a little longer because i feel like the more you can dial in that breath work the more you can kind of get yourself into a zone to just calm things down slow down so i will have folks in any moment when they feel like they're getting worked up and I know a lot of people will be like, well, I don't have time to slow down. I don't have time. Yes, you do. You absolutely have time to slow down because if you're going to keep yourself in, in what I call a tizzy and keep going, you're going to be wasting <laughs> lots of energy. So we're all slowing down. And so I have folks stand up, roll their shoulders back, you know, proud chest, kind of moving, just like I call it puff it out a little bit. Pretend like you're just puffing your chest out a little bit and your shoulders are rolled back. And this is where you take that five count inhale and seven count exhale and you do 10 of those suckers and you see how you feel after that most folks are going to feel different now if you don't then i'm going to say all right lay down on the floor put your hips in a 90 degree angle your knees in a 90 degree angle and your calves and your feet like put that on a chair so that you're laying down in kind of a 90 90 degree angle and now you breathe because for some people the standing doesn't work so well you almost have to slam them as it as i call it slam them into chilling out and so by laying down you're doing something called positional parasympathetic breathing and what it does is slam the system into parasympathetic chill mode and i'll often if if someone does not do well with just straight breathing i'll be like all right let's lay down and um for a lot of people that seems to do the trick now of course it might not be 100 percent convenient to lay down in the middle of say a shopping mall or something if that's what's amping you up so in this case we've got to try to go back to the breathing but for those of you who are at home or even in a work situation you can hang out in your cubicle or or your office shut the door and just kind of breathe for a second a lot of times um, we underestimate what things we actually can do in our office so this is the number one way that I work on things. And then other ways I will start to have folks work on self self-talk and things of that nature. But I like to work with the breathing first. Yes, that's a very powerful tool. You know, one that can be a bit overrated or um, uh, underutilized, should I say, um, yeah. is just to stop and breathe. I mean, for one, like you said, it's free. <laughs> Two, you just <laughs> gave off a nice little solution. What is it? The five count in, seven count out, 10 of those. I mean, what are we talking here? What's the math? Maybe less than two minutes of time, you know? So this is a great way just to take a break, breathe, and then really just, you know, so what's the process here? So when you're breathing, I mean, I know I've, I've done some breath work um, and, and, you know, especially with, you know, taking a yoga class or, um, you know, my, my wife is really into breath work as well. So we do some techniques. So what from your perspective, what is happening here when we are breathing and catching our breath and, and relax, you know, what's the process? How does this help manage stress? Sure. So what it's doing is it's sending the message back to your brain and, and really your caveman, most primal brain, that there's nothing chasing you because you just stopped to breathe. Mm. You had the ability to stop. 
Because most of us, if we keep going, 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 we're sending a message back to our brain that we can't stop. There's something hunting us. Like we have to keep going. And so the more you end up doing that throughout the day, the more you're going to be fatigued because your body's running a marathon all day long thinking that you're trying to get away from this imaginary bear. So if you stop and breathe and really just take the time to pay attention to your breath, you're sending signals back to the brain like there's nothing chasing you. It's all clear. All's good. And then that message coming back is going to help that vagus nerve and your, your parasympathetic nervous system flip on and be like, okay, it's time to chill. Let's breathe. Yeah, let's relax. And so now we get the message throughout the body. All's clear. All's clear. All's good. Exactly. It's like our, our pri- we're trying to help our primal being um, somewhat manage in modern life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. we, we need, we have this, uh, you know, flight or uh, fight response. And most of the time it's, you know, now it's, it, at one point it was because, uh, you know, a bear was chasing us, but now it's just because simply somebody cuts <laughs> us off on the freeway or whatnot. And then we go into this, you know, this, uh, you know, this outburst. So <laughs> yeah, this is an excellent technique right there just to breathe. Um, I mean, I, I love that. So let's talk about, let's shift gears just slightly and let's talk about how do you take charge of your health when it, life does get hard? Oh, man. Yeah. You know, when life gets hard, I think for a lot of folks, the the mind will go on like spin, con- like out of control spin. It just can't seem to focus on one thing. And usually it's because we're trying to focus on multiple things, thinking that the more we do, the better it's going to be. And that's not the case. It really truly isn't the case. I've been doing this for 13 plus years now. And what I found is less is more. And for so many people, they come in the office, they're like, doc, I want to lose weight. I want to bounce my hormones. I want to, you know, run a marathon. I want to, I mean, you'd be surprised the, the, the laundry list of things folks want to do when they come in. But the reality is, is we can't do all of these things without taking a step-by-step approach. And quite quite possibly for for most people even trying to do more than one thing and mastering more than one thing it's going to add to the amount of stress that they already have so what i'm usually looking at with each individual in terms of taking charge of their health is what is the most impact that we can make with one thing usually breathing is going to be by the way my number one thing that i start with which most people will roll their eyes at me and then come back in in the week later and be like oh my god i actually slowed down a little and like felt chill for a moment so (laughs) it does work but number two is usually i've got to get hydration going on because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are under hydrated they're walking around super dehydrated so that's usually my next step mastering that and then we go into nutrition and and after you know after nutrition then we'll start to go into maybe we need to work on certain specific techniques with self-talk maybe we need to work on specific techniques in terms of pain control, things of that nature, because I'm looking at the taking charge of the health as what is going to be the number one signal back to the body that there's nothing that is going to get you. It's really telling the body, 
everything's okay. So finding comfort or, or giving the body the all clear signals. So I'm going to figure out what's going to be the number one all clear signal for patients. And usually the breath work is number one. And then number two will usually be, like I said, hydration. Number three is going to vary between diet and environmental lifestyle stuff. So it, it's very individual as to how it goes, but usually number one and two tend to be really basic stuff that we all have heard. We all know, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Yeah, I'd say most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's rare that I find somebody that's drinking, you know, at least half their body weight um, in ounces of water a day. It's, it's few and far between once I really start to ask. We're, we're grossly overestimating the amount of water we drink, sadly. And, and such a vital tool for us, you know, and it's just over, it's over constantly overlooked. It's like, you know, it's incredible. So, and you're right though, that step-by-step approach, you know, let's take one step at a time, simplify things, you know, and is the biggest key to, you know, going down this more natural and, and holistic approach as well you know, just taking one step at a time can really be beneficial so you don't get overwhelmed because a lot of times it's new, right? Uh, Somewhat of a, a, like, you know, working with, you know, doing some breath work and making sure your hydration is right and your nutrition levels, you know, you're you're eating a, you know, a a real quality diet um, and whatnot. It can be uh, a bit overwhelming for somebody who's maybe new to this approach. So going step by step, is a phenomenal way to kind of um, clear things up and make make sure that the journey isn't too overwhelmed, you know. Because otherwise, then what ha- what happens when people get overwhelmed? You know, <laughs> then they then they seem to shut down or not do it. You know what I mean? So um, you know that that step by step approach is is a uh, is, is a great great technique. So let's talk about. I know that this is you're you're passionate about this too. Is is a uh, Define the aging process. So how do we defy the aging process naturally? So you got to look at a couple of things in terms of aging. Aging, we're going to age more when we're stressed, you know, in terms of someone that's gone through a stressful experience and you see them before and after, you will see, you know, what's what's happened to them. I think some of the greatest uh, visions of how that happens is looking at the American presidents before they were presidents and after they were presidents and looking to see what's happened to their face, you know, their facial expressions and, and features. It's interesting to see that. So of course we have the outside effect on, on the body in terms of the, the defying aging component, but really the way to defy aging is to manage stress well, but also look at how your hormones are doing because even though they're supposed to decline as you get older, it doesn't mean that with that decline that they should become imbalanced. So making sure to keep your hormones balanced. There's many ways to do that. I could probably do a whole podcast on that, but the point is this diet is one of the big ways of working on hormone balance, but also stress management because cortisol, our, our big hormone that's associated with fight or flight, can throw off things like progesterone in males and females and mess with sleep and and kind of have a cascade of events from there. So balancing hormones, absolutely huge. Another side of it is looking at how well you absorb nutrients because you need to keep getting nutrients in and our enzymes decline as we get older. So making sure to slow down and eat. Actually chew your food. 
Because if your enzymes are declining, you don't want to be putting big chunks of food into the gut and trying to let your gut figure out what to do with it. It doesn't work out so well. So working on optimizing digestion. Another big one in addition to all of this is working on mitochondria. So these are your little factories in every single one of your cells, and they make energy for you. And a lot of times as we get older, they bog down a little bit, and they have some trouble making energy optimally, and they also have trouble kind of getting rid of our cellular exhaust, if you will, our our detox, you know, our detoxification processes are slowed down. And so I really like to have folks working on optimizing that by getting in as many fruits and veggies as possible, but also sweating, getting their sweat on, getting some movement going in which that leads me to my next one because a lot of people stop moving because they have aches and pains. And it's a lot of times not due to true breakdown of joints and and tissue. It's due to lack of mobility because they haven't been moving in certain ways. So optimizing movement instead of just moving forward and backward, moving side to side, dancing, playing a little bit more, channeling your inner five-year-old and doing some hula hoop and jumping around. So for a lot of folks, it's aging really boils down to channeling and and getting back to, to your youth by using what you used to do and carrying it through to what you're doing now. And of course, it's going to look different. You're not going to play the same now as you did when you were five, but there are ways for us to help you with mobility and help you to not be stuck in movement patterns that are going to wear down your joints and tendons and ligaments. So that's kind of how I look at working on on the whole anti-aging and reverse aging side of things. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's incredible. You know, especially in terms of just simplifying, like, it's just like how you explained it is just, it's so simple. It's like eating proper foods, um, simply moving, you know, managing your stress. Um, You know, so let's talk about digestion, though. What, What, what can also, I guess, throw off the digestive system, like you were saying, um, you know, you might not be absorbing properly. Um, are there, are there some foods that we should be eating to kind of help support that? Or, um, you know, can you just talk slightly about that, the digestive process? Sure. Sure. There are so many stinking diets out there and recommendations of going keto versus the caveman versus blah, blah, blah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's, it's really, you can choose your own adventure on that, but what it really boils down to over and over and over again is that if we eat foods closest to nature, we're going to do so much better. Yes, I do believe eating things that are organic and um, you know animals that are grass-fed, grass-finished, things of that nature, it goes a long way in spending the money, you know, if you have it, of course, spending money on what you're eating versus spending money on lotions and, and things of that nature, or supplements and things of that nature. Really invest in your food. If you can grow your own food, my goodness, that goes uh, even like a longer way because if you're buying food from the grocery store, and this is something that I like to talk to folks about, and because you're over in New Zealand, it's kind of a, one of my favorite topics. We get a lot of apples that come from New Zealand that are organic. But for a lot of folks, if you've never been on an airplane in New Zealand, that's a long freaking way. 
And over time, the nutrients are going to decline in those organic apples from New Zealand. And so I have folks realistically looking at stuff like this. You know, if, you, if your Fuji apple from New Zealand had to travel over 17 plus hours on a plane and who knows how long in cold storage in New Zealand, and you can get a conventional Fuji apple here and you scrub it really well and peel it, you're going to get more nutrients in that local Fuji apple that came from, say, Washington State, where I am, versus, you know, waiting for that organic one that flew a very long way from New Zealand. So the, the point here is eating closest to nature, but also thinking about how far your food traveled and being realistic about things, because I'd much rather have folks eating local and eating stuff that's closer to their home. And maybe it's not necessarily organic or certified organic, but it's gonna have more nutrients in it. So thinking realistically about your food source and, and the travel for your food, because you know, I, I, we, we try really hard to, to put out this whole concept of organic, but when your organic food has to travel six times more than something that's conventional, you know, Besides pesticides being less in that food, really, are you getting any nutrients left? So it's right. one of the things I think about in that case. But I really do think that the, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is, is eat closest to nature. It, it's going to help the digestive system a lot because we're not putting in things that the body doesn't know what the heck they are. Um, there's a lot of debate about the lectins, so the grains and the legumes and like, are they bad? Are they good? You know, honestly, I think everything in, in moderation. I think what's happened with us is that we get on binges of things. And, and I don't think that rice was meant to be consumed in three cup portions. I, you know, and beans, we all know it's the musical fruit for a reason. You eat too much of them, they're going to send off signals through the body. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's just portion and really finding like your sweet spot on portion for, for digestion. So getting back to your question in terms of how to improve the digestive system as we age, it's really slowing down to eat is number one, making food like every dining experience and experience. You're not multitasking. You're not driving and eating. None of that's going to do well consistently for your digestive system because your body's not focused on eating. Most of us are in fight or flight mode all the dang time, which means we've got blood in our muscles and our arms and legs, but not in our gut. And you want the blood in the gut. So chilling out, like making each meal an experience, taking some time. I'm not talking like six hour meals. I'm just talking like at least spend a half hour at a meal. And slowing down to eat, making sure that your food is digestible. So things like grains, things like legumes, pressure cook them or buy them sprouted or sprout them yourself. Now they're pre-digested and it makes it a heck of a lot easier for your body to break those things down. But also finding out like what's your sweet spot in these foods. Same thing goes with carbs, that carb debate that's been oh, over and over again. We all have a sweet spot in terms of grams of carbs and amount of carbs. Just start paying attention to how you feel after meals. And do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like so bloated? Do you feel like you got a food baby? If that's happening, then you're over consuming something within that meal. And then the next day, perhaps switch it up and see if you can find your sweet spot. So it's a little bit of investigation. But the idea is, is really seeing how well do you break down food and what's best for you? Not what's best for your friends, not what's best for whoever on Instagram lost 80 pounds by eliminating one particular food. It's not about that. 
we're all individual. Yeah, and it has to be addressed individually as well. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I love your journal philosophy. Pay attention to the body and how it reacts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing in New Zealand here, there's a company called um, UBI, and that stands for Out of Our Own Backyards. And basically, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fruits and veggie box that you get um, delivered to your door, uh, and it comes on a weekly basis, and you never know what's in it. Right. It's stuff that's grown locally from, you know, with your within your local community. And that's constantly changing, you know. So their philosophy is that we should be changing our diets or even our fruits and veggies with the season and what's actually growing during that season. You know, because, you know, that's that's somewhat of a, a natural um, way, you know, evolved way of, of, a, of a diet itself. You know what I mean? Obviously, we used to only eat things that were available during the season, right? So you were talking, you know, going back to the roots <laughs> of, of how we used to do things. So I love their philosophy in terms of, you know, it's always a surprise box. It's like, okay, what are we getting this week? All right, yeah, okay, we make a recipe with this, that, and the other. Um, and it's constantly changing. So next thing you know, it's like, oh, here's, you know, plums are available now, you know, or here's Fijoas, Fijoas for, you know, another month or two, you know, so it's constantly changing. Um, and it, it's, it's a really powerful approach. So I love what you talked about there and, and great explanation on the, you know, uh, you know, just the, the digestive system in terms of aging. So let's talk about, you know, another big one, and you kind of tapped into this a little bit as well um, earlier is food sensitivities you know why is this so common nowadays it seems like you know people are constantly sensitive to different foods and you know and, and a lot of people go well hey we never used to be so what has changed <laughs> or has it always been there and we've just ignored the signs uh, I don't know you know I, th I think what's happened it, at least it seems to me is that we're becoming more inundated with chemicals and environmental toxins. So our bodies have so much more to deal with on a daily basis. I interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago and he said we are exposed to like 80,000 toxins a day. It's crazy to think that. And, and then it's like, okay, so our body has to deal with all that. Then on top of that, we're adding in foods that may have pesticides on the outside of them. They may have, you know, if we're, if we're eating processed foods, there's lots of stabilizers in those foods that the body doesn't necessarily know what to do with. So on top of being hyper alert because of all of the chemicals, now the body becomes hyper alert related to these different foods. On top of that, we might have certain viruses, bacteria, mold, etc. that we've been exposed to that might be living in our system and our body's responding to those as well. So the histamines are high because of that. So what it, I'm getting at is that we are constantly being exposed to a lot of different things. So with our immune systems on hyper alert, if we have another food that Say, for example, I typically will use tomatoes because they're acid, they have a high acidity content, they are nightshades, but they open up the esophageal sphincter, which means that they are a acid reflux prone type of food. And when something like that keeps kind of gurgling back up and our esophagus has a ton of immune system tissue around it, it's going to start to create an immune system reaction to it. So the next time you eat tomatoes, you're going to have more histamine means created in your body. So now you're going to get maybe stuffy or you're going to get itchy 
or you're going to get a rash or you're going to get stomach pain or your acid reflux is going to get worse. So I like to think of it in terms of a, a big barrel approach where we have so many things going into the barrel and at some point that barrel overloads and usually it ends up being foods that you've consumed over and over again, things that are your favorite foods, because they're the ones that are more likely to create an immune system response, whether it's through the acid reflux uh, phenomenon I described, or whether it's through something called leaky gut, where our gut lining's irritated and the molecules get across into the bloodstream. And now we have an immune system reaction on that level. So there's many different ways that the immune system can be overactive. And I think there becomes a point at which folks start to react to the most common foods that they eat. And it's sad because we'll do food sensitivity testing. And that's what I see, you know, most common foods people eat. There's also the foods that are higher histamines as well. Tomatoes have higher histamines. So do things like strawberries, chocolate, coffee, um, cheese, almonds. Just think of like a dinner party and what you would typically have if you had like wine, cheese, nuts, all of that, all high histamines. The things we love um, as, as the trendy foods, it's all things that are higher histamine. So you have higher histamine foods and you already have higher histamines in your body because of chemicals. And now you've have like this, this foundation set for being hypersensitive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we did a food sensitivity test with my kids um, a few years ago, just to kind of double check. And obviously, you know, we we're kind of taking down this natural path road. Um, so, you know, my son at a young age was, you know, he was just, we were trying to figure out what was going on. He was very hyper, you know. And so we're like, okay, well, maybe he's sensitive to food. Maybe let's just kind of go down that route. Let's get some tests done. And yeah, I came back and, and he was sensitive to eggs um, there was a few other things too. I think it was peanut butter. Um, you know, uh, can't remember the others, but then my daughter, we, we did her as well just to kind of see, okay, well let's just check her. And she was sensitive to blueberries, you know? So it's like, here's something that you figure is all real healthy antioxidant, <laughs> but actually it was, she was a bit sensitive to it. So it was just very interesting and, and we're glad that we got that test done because otherwise we wouldn't have known and we would have just, she would have continued on eating one of her favorite fruits and had this, you know, you know, the sensitivity to this, which would obviously start to, for her, her she was, um, her immune system would start to slow down a bit. And it probably like, as you were just explaining, now I understand a little bit more, the immune system was dealing with all this um, response into the body um, and whatnot. And, and that was probably, you know, lowering her immune system or, or occupying her immune system. And then now she was more susceptible to the environment and what she would pick up there, you know, colds and whatnot quite easily. So, yeah. uh, you know, very interesting there. And, and, and there's a great explanation on, you know, why we're seeing this increase because it does seem so common nowadays. You know, it's like every, every especially the younger generation, the, you know, that's constantly, but I, I guess they're growing up in more of a chemical induced environment, you know, yeah. so you're going to see these uh, a higher form of, of sensitivities uh, to food, you know, with this younger generation. So let's talk, I mean, I, I want to just tap into, I know this is a big topic, but, you know, gut health, especially because you mentioned leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So if, if we're dealing with leaky gut, first of all, can you just explain that a little bit more? And then what are ways that we can do? What, 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 what are some techniques that we can do to maybe um, heal the, 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 
leaky gut issue? Sure. Sure. So leaky gut is really a phenomenon that happens when the gut lining has become degraded. And it becomes degraded for many reasons. One in particular is eating too fast and we have large molecules of food that are getting past our stomach, getting into the small intestine and they're sitting there on the gut lining and there's such large molecules of food. It takes a while for the bacteria to break the foods down. It takes a while for enzymes to break the foods down. So now we've got irritation of that food just on the gut lining. Another thing that happens with leaky gut is eating foods that are chemically processed in terms of chemicals that the body doesn't know what to do with. So food dyes, stabilizers, things mm. like BHT, you know, chemicals, BPA. There's lots of different things that can be even either on the lining of, say, our tin cans for food or things that are in the actual food to keep the shelf life longer. So these things get in and the body doesn't know what to do with them. So what happens? The food sits. The longer the food sits on the gut lining, the more degradation we have of the gut lining. So we have that phenomenon. We also have the phenomenon of molds and we have, and in particular yeast, it's a big deal. Yeast will create these little like fingers that separate the gut lining cells apart. They almost like pry them apart, which creates leaky gut in and of itself. Different types of bacterial infections can cause some degradation of the gut lining as well. Folks who may have a sensitivity to something that they've created and now that food they're eating it over and over again, and that food gets in, and their immune system starts to attack that food on the gut lining. You're going to see some leaky gut direct from that as well. Stress can separate the gut lining apart. Um, you commonly will see it in, in overtrained athletes as well, where the marathoners are having trouble holding their balls towards the end of the marathon. That is stress effect on the gut. There's lots of documented gastritis in terms of stomach effect, but not as much on the intestines, but you can see it in, in certain high-end uh, marathon athletes in particular. That's the most documented. So stress, of course, hormonal imbalances as well. We need a decent amount of estradiol, guys too, on the gut lining. This is our most active estrogen, and that helps to maintain our collagen. So same thing as collagen in our skin and on our face, the stuff that, that when it declines, we get wrinkles. You're going to get wrinkles on your face, just like you're going to get wrinkles in your gut, as I tell folks, because it's, you're going to see differences in the amount of collagen on the gut lining. So these are all ways in which the, the leaky gut component starts to happen. And we can test for leaky gut. There's a molecule called zonulin that is released when we have the con the concept not the concept the, the phenomenon of leaky gut happening on the gut lining not everybody has leaky gut but i would say probably 75 80 percent i might be even conservative on that in terms wow. of numbers it's it's common to have some leaky gut and it's all based really if we go back to fundamentals it's how we eat the food that we eat and so it's taking time to slow down and chew your food and rotating your food, you know, not getting on food kicks where you're eating the same darn thing over and over again for weeks on end. That is hard on, on our gut. Yeah. Just like Ubi's philosophy, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Foods. Yes. Uh, yes. Wow. 75% is, is, is just a massive portion of the population, you know, and I've also heard, um, you know, in times where, where there's, there's so there's a big 
sensitivity to gluten that's on the, the rise as well. And, and there's an association with leaky gut. So where the gluten, you know, is, is getting, you know, basically slipping through the gut lining and going back into the bloodstream. And that's where the sensitivity is coming from. So it's not necessarily, um, you know, an allergy to gluten, more or less it's um, an uh, over amount of gluten that's back into the bloodstream and not, and because of the fact that the gut is leaking. Um, and any response to that? Oh yeah, no, that's exactly how that's exactly how that goes down. Now, okay. of course, there's you know the concept of folks having you know celiac is on the rise. We didn't have that yeah. before. We also weren't testing it. I would say you know in all fairness, in the in the 70s and 80s, I think we started getting a little more into it in the 90s. But really, in the 70s and 80s, I don't think we were testing as much. But it also coincides with a lot of the the processing of wheat and how we put glyphosate on it, and and that's uh, round up to drop the wheat kernels off of the grain. It's, it's just an easier processing method for farmers to get the wheat kernels off. And unfortunately, I think we're, we're showing what happens when we end up eating wheat kernels that have been treated with glyphosate. So, you know, I think there's a combination of things going around. Folks talk about the hybridization of wheat and how manipulating the wheat molecules has also caused trouble. I've also heard people mention that, you know, when they go to say New Zealand or when they go to Europe, they do not have the same reaction to wheat as they do in the US. And I would agree that that's happened to me as well. And I think a little bit might have to do with the grain, but I also think we've got some issues with fortification of the flowers here in the US once things have been milled and we've added back in folic acid I would say that for a lot of people, there's a mutation called MTHFR. It sounds like a dirty word, but it's a processing <laughs> of synthetic folic acid. And I think a lot of people have issues in that department too, that could be causing um, some of their gastric upset related to wheat. So there's a lot of debate out there and there's a lot of controversy. It really boils down ultimately to if you're eating flour, it's processed, right? So it's going to be harder on the gut. So thinking about going back to nature, getting things closest to nature, then now we're not going to even have the debate of the wheat because we're not eating something that's processed. Boom. Explained mm -hmm. beautifully. I love that. So let's talk about, I know the big one nowadays with the current times and what we're dealing with worldwide with, um, you know, this, this coronavirus. So just let's, let's tap in and, and give the audience um, as we're wrapping up the podcast, just some ways to support their immune system. I mean, everything you pretty much said is all going to be related into supporting their immune system. But if we can just kind of retouch on on some key techniques that they can utilize uh, to help keep their immune system strong. Sure. Number one, as we know, the coronavirus attacks the lungs. Breathing working on your breathing. So many of us are taking short breaths. We're short breathers as it is. By breathing short, you're sending messages to your brain that there's a bear chasing you. What that does over a long period of time is shuts down your ability to, to regulate inflammation in your body. So if you're breathing short and you've been doing it for, for let's say 30 plus years, you have the potential to be making more 
inflammatory proteins in your body right now. So it doesn't set you up well for should, you know, in the event that you should get sick. So if you start working on changing your breath work and working on five count inhales and seven count exhales, you're going to be strengthening your lungs, but you're also going to be helping your body to regulate inflammation and regulate how well it inflames when it needs to and how well it calms itself when it doesn't need to inflame. So you're kind of regulating better. Now, at the same time, you got, you got to eat some foods closest to nature, in particular, your antioxidant foods, your veggies, your fruits. We're anti- carbs um, as of late. And I think we're missing out a lot on some of the benefits from fruits. And I don't want people to be afraid of fruits. I definitely want people to be eating more veggies than they do fruits for many reasons, but because veggies have so much nutrition in them. And not only that, your, your spices, things like oregano, parsley, cilantro, these guys are packed with vitamins A and C, which are the big vitamins that can help you in terms of the immune system. So not shying away from things like basil even or mint. Use your herbs, embrace your herbs, throw that stuff on anything and everything you possibly can because they are like little micro bursts of, of antioxidants. So I'm highly recommending folks dive into the fresh herbs and adding them to your veggies to make them taste better. Because let's face it, sometimes veggies aren't the most tasty things in the world. I think so, but I, I know that um, for a lot of people, it's not their first love in terms of food. But really thinking about ways you can sneak in veggies, you know, throw them in smoothies, blend them into sauces, make pestos, things of that nature to, to entice yourself to get veggies in more often. I think that goes a huge way. And then the other big thing for the immune system here is really don't skimp out on the water. Make sure you're dialing in the water and sleep. Those things, you can't go wrong. If you do all four of those things, you breathe better, you get your veggies in and pay attention to the the water you're drinking and you're sleeping, you're going to be doing just fine. That's going to help more than anything in the whole world. And then if you want to do the icing on the cake, which I absolutely hope that you do, movement. Get moving. Get your circulation going. Because one of the other big issues with coronavirus is circulation. You need to be able to circulate oxygen through your lungs, but also throughout your body and circulate nutrition too. Because oxygen helps with being able to carry energy, but also being able to get as many nutrients as possible to the tissues so that they can have what they need to fight off viruses, bacteria, molds, etc. And so movement, you know, just try not to be a couch potato. Try to get up and move every hour. Do something where you're just wiggling. Even if you have to just like wiggle it out, dance, I don't care. Just move as much as you possibly can throughout the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and somebody had given a recommendation because people kind of get stuck in, oh, you know, well, I'm watching TV. Well, if you're watching the show, like make it a tradition. If you have like a 30, 30 minute series that you're watching, um, you know, just move during that time, you know, stand in the living room and, and do and move, you know, whether that's dancing or just keep, keep the body moving for those 30 minutes, you know, whatever, however that looks for you, it's manageable. And then you're getting your entertainment factor. So instead of watching your show on the couch, watch your show and keep your blood circulating and do and move the body. So I thought that was a great tip. Now for me, 
the way that I like to move my body is on the golf course. So I used to take, you know, growing up in, in, in uh, the United States, everybody drives the golf carts on the course, right? Well, when yep. I moved to New Zealand, this is not the way. There's a different culture. We're like, well, you walk on the golf course here in New Zealand. Um, there's, you know, otherwise you're, you know, it's, it's just tradition, right? So you, you get a little trolley and you walk, you put your bag on the trolley and you walk. Well, it took me, uh, you know, a little bit of time to make this adjustment. And then my wife started coming out with me and we started golfing together. And then next thing you know, she's like, let's, we, we golfed an 18 hole golf course. And she goes, she goes, check your phone, see how many steps we took today. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. So we looked at the, at the phone and it was something like we walked like six, six and a half, seven miles, you know, on the golf course. You know, nice. so in the, in the great part about that is the worse golfer you are, the more you're going to walk and get more exercise because you're walking all over the golf course, you know? <laughs> so that was just a great way to, you know, so, so now my excuse to go play golf is, Hey, I need to move my body. I need to exercise. I need to go walk my seven miles today. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. what I'm saying here is that really pushes me to move the body in something that I'm entertained and having fun with. Right. So I really get stuck in, you know, not wanting to exercise when it becomes more of a routine and a chore, you know, and then it's like, oh, man, after, you know, I'm good for about like, you know, eight weeks. And then after that, it's like, oh, man, this is I, I just can't keep this up. So I'm always looking for little ways to kind of keep myself entertained and, and allow myself to move my body through that that um, that technique. So, um, you know, real quick. What are some veggies? I'm going to go back to the veggies. So mm -hmm. what's your, you know, top three or four veggies that um, are very powerful antioxidants? Mm, celery, number one. Uh, okay. Lots of, lots of vitamin A and C in there, but also in addition to, to powerful antioxidant, it's a nice diuretic and lymphatic cleanser. So I'm kind of adding in on there, Andy, like some, some other little sneaky things. Now, not everybody loves celery. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's gross and bitter, but if you put peanut butter on it, it's not so bad. Um, there you go. Nut butters, things of that nature. Rotate your nut butters. Peanut butter, we have an issue with it because it is one of, it's a high histamine, just like the other nuts, but that's why I recommend rotating. Um, another really amazing, amazing uh, vegetable that I think a lot of people don't think about is arugula. And the reason I'm saying arugula compared to like spinach or things of that nature, spinach is overdone. A lot of people do spinach. It's, it's high in oxalates. It could, um, you know, back up the system when we're doing it over and over and over again. So what I'm saying here is not to avoid spinach. I'm not saying spinach is bad. Let's rotate our greens. So arugula really high in nitrates. So it helps you to boost nitric oxide so you can improve in circulation, but also has the vitamins A and C and kind of lots of minerals in there. And you can grow arugula really easy at home. So arugula is one of my other favorites and you can add it and rotate it with spinach and romaine and all your other lettuces. Same thing with kale. You know, I, I think kale's also been given a lot of hype. So I'm trying to skip over those guys because we, we already know those things. I'm going with some of the obscure or different ones in terms of, of them. So then another veggie that I really like a lot is, is the butternut squash. It's got a lot of carotene, so beta carotenes because of its nice orange rich color, but it also has a decent amount of vitamin C and it's a good starch. 
It's a nice, yummy, good starch. You can make so many things out of the butternut squash and any squash like Kerbota squash or delicata or any of those guys. I love my squashes. I think that squashes are super nutritious. So I would be giving some serious love to some squashes. And let's round it out with one more kind of obscure one, the radish. There you go, the radish. (laughs) Yes, yes. You can eat the leaves. So super nutritious leaves there. You want to cook them down though because they're kind of spiky in terms of their, their texture. But radishes the leaves and the actual radish really high in in your vitamins. But radishes also have another amazing ability to help with detox. And they're great with flushing your lymphatic system too. So I like to talk about those in in, in veggies in terms of a two for one. What else can they do for you? So those would round out some of the more obscure ones. And then beets, I'm always going to say beets no matter what, because they're great for blood strengthening. So they've got some iron in there, but they also have a lot of antioxidants on many levels in there so those are my faves nice nice great list there i I like how you bring out some of the (laughs) uncommon ones you know and and that's that's it's good to tap into that you know and have that knowledge i have a veggie garden you know down below i'm kind of looking out over it right now actually um and we've got the butternut squash growing uh we don't i think we may have celery my wife's more on top of it than i am but um (laughs) you know i I might want to get into some arugula (laughs) and maybe start some radishes actually i had a friend doing a she was doing a live video and she was harvesting her radishes with her kids the other day and i was like oh radish you know (laughs) you're bringing it up now so maybe this is that's a that's a good sign that i should be growing some radishes as well so i think so i think so Hey, Janine, thank you so much. I really appreciate you getting on. This was a phenomenal conversation, powerful tips. So just before we check out, um, where can everybody find you? I know you got your podcast and, you know, so hit us with your social media handle, website (laughs) and podcast so people can go find and follow you. Sure. So my website is Dr. J. Krause nd.com so n is in nancy d is in dog on the end there for naturopathicdoctor.com i also have the podcast the health fix where you can find me on all of your common outlets for wherever you find your podcasts and then i'm pretty active on instagram dr janine j-a-n-n-i-n-e kraus k-r-a-u-s-e that's a great place to find me and you can see all of my episodes and what i'm up to there and yeah i'm on on Facebook, but not as much. Same name, Dr. Janine Kraus. And those are the usual places to, to find me. Excellent. Thank you so much. Keep doing the good work and uh, we'll, we'll see from you soon. Thank you, Andy. Andy.